Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, He Felt Compassion. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August the 6th, 2017. In the debut novel, Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither, by the Irish writer Sarah Balme, has won numerous awards for its portrayal of the love between two deeply wounded creatures, a misanthropic recluse named Ray and his abandoned and abused dog called One-Eye, so named for a wound from a badger. What really drives the novel is its delightfully strange narrative device, which is a 274-page second-person soliloquy by Ray to One-Eye, in which he unburdens himself of his many hurts. I'm all on my own, Ray tells One-Eye, just like you. With a dog as a central character, this story is conspicuous for its lack of human compassion. Ray says that he feels like he's wearing a spacesuit that buffers him from people, who at any rate avoid him, at the bank, the grocery store, or the playground. He's a truly strange man who lives alone in his dead father's dilapidated house, a stranger, like an ugly troll. Ray is deeply aware of his wretchedness and insignificance. He says, they all think I don't notice, but I do. He fears every social situation. He quit going to mass after his father died. He distrusts good fortune. Ray also knows that he's not one of what he calls the regular people. In the one instance when he did feel like a regular person who did regular things in a regular way, he says that he felt uncharacteristically inconspicuous, even ordinary, and that it felt good, so good. Sometimes I see the sadness in you, Ray tells One-Eye, the same sadness that's in me. His sadness comes mainly from his complicated memories of his deceased father and the mystery surrounding a mother that he never knew. When One-Eye attacks a neighbor's dog, scapegoating, scapegoating forces them to flee their village. They head inland and drive and drive and drive, then return to the village in his father's house, what he calls the saddest place in our whole small world. The novel ends... Ray says, see the community we were insidiously hounded from? See how community is only a good thing when you're a part of it? Indeed. In the Gospel this week, from Matthew chapter 14, when the disciples saw the crowd, they wanted to quote-unquote send them away. Jesus, however, felt compassion for them. Whatever else he was, Jesus was a man of compassion. And that stands to reason, for we read in James 5.11, God himself is full of compassion. 
I still remember learning this Greek word compassion in seminary 35 years ago, perhaps because it was fun to pronounce, splagnisnomai. The word, the word group occurs about 25 times in the New Testament. The noun form refers to the bowels, lung, heart, kidney, or liver, in ancient days thought to be the seat of the human emotions. Even today, for example, we say that we feel something in our gut. To have calm passion, to suffer together or have sympathy, to open your heart or your bowels to someone isn't just a feeling. In the New Testament, compassion is the divine response to human suffering. In Matthew 14 this week, Jesus has compassion and then he feeds the hungry. Other occurrences of this same word describe his compassion for the scared father of the sick son, the two blind men, and the widow of Nain, the master who forgives the debt of his slave, the waiting father of the prodigal son, and most famously the good Samaritan, all, we read, had compassion. Last summer in 2016, when my wife and I walked the 358-mile way of St. Francis of Assisi in Italy, every morning before we set off, we would recite his so-called peace prayer. I don't know what became of it, but for the longest time, it also sat on our windowsill above the kitchen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is error, truth. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in self-forgetting that we find, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. We don't know the author of this classic prayer, and it wasn't even until the 1920s that it was even ascribed to St. Francis but it certainly emulates his longing to be a person of compassion, healing, and redemption in our fallen world. We normally think of extending compassion to others. In my church, we also have a benediction that reminds us to be compassionate toward our own selves. For in fact, that's what God has already done. Much of the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins is characterized by darkness and despair, reflecting his lifelong interior struggles. After converting to Catholicism, which estranged him from his Anglican family, Hopkins burned much of his poetry and even stopped writing for seven years. After ordination as a Jesuit priest, an assignment in Ireland left him feeling isolated and melancholy thus giving rise to his so-called terrible sonnets. But somewhere in his darkness, Hopkins experienced God's light. He moved beyond self-reproach to divine compassion. 
In one of my favorite poems, My Own Heart, he describes an interior conversation about accepting God's smile upon his life. In other words, he had compassion on himself. Listen to Hopkins' poem. My own heart, let me more, let me more have pity on. Let me live to my sad self hereafter kind. Charitable, not live this tormented mind with this tormented mind tormenting yet. I cast for comfort I can no more get by groping round my comfortless than blind eyes in their dark can day or thirst can find thirsts all in all in all a world of wet. Soul, self, come, poor Jack self, I do advise you, jaded, let be. Call off thoughts a while elsewhere. Leave comfort root room. Let joy sighs at God knows when to God knows what. Whose smiles not wrung, see you. Unforeseen times, rather, as skies between pie mountains. Light's a lovely mile. I've always liked the suggestion of Marcus Borg <coughs> that Jesus <coughs> that Jesus turned the Jewish purity system with its sharp social boundaries on its head. In its place, he substituted a radically alternate social vision. The new community that Jesus announced would be characterized by interior compassion for everyone, not external compliance to a purity code, by egalitarian inclusivity rather than by hierarchical exclusivity, and by inward transformation rather than outward ritual. In place of be holy, for I am holy, Leviticus 19.2, says Borg, Jesus deliberately substituted the call of compassion. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful, Luke 6.36. The little epistle of 1 John 3.17 thus questions us. How can we claim that the love of God abides in us if we behold our neighbor in need and close our bowels to him, refuse to help, and fail to act with compassion. For books this week, I review a novel by J.M. Coetzee. It's called The School Days of Jesus. New York, Viking, 2016. This book is 260 pages long. <clears throat> Set on a deserted island village called Estrella, Simone and Inez have their hands full with raising the precocious and recalcitrant six-year-old little boy, David. David doesn't map exactly with the Jesus of the New Testament, but he's an obvious doppelganger of sorts. The young family lives like gypsies. They're on the run and are fearful of a census that could identify them. Simone is not my real father, 
the young boy repeats, and David is not my real name. He says that he wants to be a lifesaver. And when rebuked for his behavior, he asks, what is filial obedience? Since a normal public school is out of the question, how shall Simone and Inez educate David? They decide on the Academy of Dance, a non-traditional setting to say the least. Under the direction of Anna Magdalena, the children dance down the numbers from the heavens. The academy, she says, is devoted to the training of the soul through music and dance. Simone, who calls himself a sane, rational man, passionless, and who was described at one time as danceless, dismisses this sort of talk as meaningless bosh. And all the more so when a disheveled museum guard named Dimitri with smelly clothes and oily hair enters the story. But David likes the school, and so they all soldier on. What interests Coetzee and drives this story is the development of the soul. For Simone, the school's educational philosophy raises intellectual conflicts between the rational and the spiritual, what you might call questions in his head. At one point, though, he asks himself, when did his soul last dance? In another moment of self-realization, he admits that his soul aches with longing, for it knows not what. For the dark and troubled character Dmitri, the growth of his soul involves Dostoevsky in questions about love, passion, guilt, repentance, and forgiveness. For Dmitri, the fault is not in my head, it's in my soul. He needs a priest with sacraments, if you will, not a psychiatrist with a bunch of pills. His dilemma is moral rather than intellectual. For everyone in this allegorical tale, the search for human meaning is both painful and profound. Richard Poplack once described J.M. Coetzee as inarguably the most celebrated and decorated living English language author. With over 20 books published, he's also prolific. His numerous awards include the 2003 Nobel Prize in Literature and the Booker Prize two times, 1983 and 1999. This newest novel, The School Days of Jesus, which follows an earlier book, The Childhood of Jesus, is also his fourth novel to be short or long-listed for additional Booker Prizes. Famously reclusive, the native South African moved to Australia when he retired in 2002. J. M. Coetzee, The School Days of Jesus. For movies this week, I review a title called National Bird. This disturbing 85-minute documentary debuted at the Tribeca and Berlin Film Festivals, and then in May of 2017 aired as part of the PBS Independent Lens series. I watched it from the PBS website. The movie follows three 
whistleblower military veterans, one of whom had top secret clearance, who have tried to shine a light on America's secret programs of unmanned aerial vehicles, that is, drones, which have become a controversial and extremely common weapon of war and surveillance all around the world. The military recruitment videos and the archival footage of the drone perspectives is chilling. Of special interest are the human stories told here, of the collateral damage to innocent civilians, of the moral guilt and psychological trauma that these veterans bear, including suicidal ideation, and of the personal risks they took in telling their stories. In fact, during the production of this film, the FBI raided the home of one of the whistleblowers and charged him with espionage. He says, I thought I was going to be on the right side of history, but now I don't think I was. It's frightening. I lost part of my humanity working in the drone system. From the year 2017, a PBS independent lens movie. Once again, the title, National Bird. And in keeping with the Gospel from Matthew 14 on the compassion of Jesus, we've posted a poem. It's on our website in our poetry archives. It's actually a prayer. It's called Prayer of Mother Teresa and Brother Roger. O oh God, the Father of all, you ask every one of us to spread love where the poor are humiliated, joy where the church is brought low, and reconciliation where people are divided. Father against son, mother against daughter, husband against wife, believers against those who cannot believe, Christians against their unloved fellow Christians. This is a prayer jointly written by Mother Teresa and Brother Roger of Taizai. It's from the book Mother Teresa, a complete authorized biography. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August the 6th, 2017. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.